Amen. What a glorious truth that is for those who are in Christ, that Christ is ours forevermore. Today's passage is from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, and the passage can be found on page 796 of the Pew Bible. Please turn there with me. Hear now the word of the Lord, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, infallible and inerrant. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men who also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome. I've been to Chattahoochee now. This is my, uh, I'm in my fourth year in July, will complete four years. And uh, I probably have not taught on a more controversial passage than what I'm going to teach on today. And I am fully, fully aware 
that many of us, including myself, have people in this situation in our very own families. And so, as I seek to teach and be faithful to the text, I also seek to be gracious and loving. And so, with that said, let's pray. Holy Father, as your children, there is no greater authority in our lives than your word. And so, we choose by faith to believe all of it, not just the parts that seem to make us comfortable. Would you give me grace now and give those here to worship you grace to receive your word just as it is, a word from a holy God in longing to be with his people? Would we make application? Would we surrender our thoughts, feelings, emotions to you and to you alone? I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. There was a poem in the 1930s that ended like this by Robert D. Abrams. He said, Some men die by shrapnel. Some men die by flames. But most men die inch by inch playing silly little games. Very true. Very true. And then the Apostle Paul, in our letter in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he, in essence, gives us a nutshell of an outline. And he's basically saying, in 16 and 17, we looked at it last week, that the righteous shall live by faith, that he's not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the gospel that is man's only hope. And it is in saying those words in, verse, in verses 16 and 17 that he then launches in to an explanation about the wrath of God. And for three chapters now, we're going to be talking about the wrath of God because that's what Paul did. And you must ask the question, or I ask the question, why, why must the righteous live by faith? What is that all about? Why is a received righteousness the only way to be in a right standing with God? And as I said, Paul will talk about the wrath of God from Romans 1.18 through 3.20. And in so doing, he's showing us our need for this righteousness. He's showing us just how bad our sin problem is. And you may be sitting here going, you know, some of us are probably worse than others, or I'm not near as bad as them. Let me just say this, cheer up. You're worse than you ever thought you were. And that's true. That's the Bible. So it will present, Paul will present 
us with a dark, a dark picture of humanity. Yet it is against this backdrop that the bright jewel of the gospel will shine all the brighter. Out of darkness shines the light most brightly. Some have said, and I agree, that Romans 1, 18 through 32 actually helps me understand the world that we live in. I think it is a very explanation, is a good explanation of the world that we are walking around in every day. And all 53 of my years when I read this go, yes, that's what I'm experiencing. That's what I'm seeing is we are, all of us, suppressing the truth in different ways. It's almost like being in a pool and taking a ball that's full of air and trying to shove it down and it just keeps popping up underneath your hands. The truth just keeps coming up. No matter how hard it is, we try to push it down, it keeps popping up. Look with me again at Romans 1, 18, just that verse. Look there, it says Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, try to push it down. There is, there it is. You see in there it says ungodly people, unrighteous people. You know who it's really talking about? All of us. First, in 18 through 32, Paul's going to spend a little bit more time kind of talking about the Gentiles. But keep in mind in Romans 1-7, he's talking to Christians, is what it says, to the Christians there in Rome. But he will focus a little bit more on the Gentiles. But then when he gets to chapter 2, verse 1, you can see the transition where he says, and unless you think because you're Jew and you're moral, that you don't escape the wrath of God. Let me explain this to you. And then he goes in and he begins to explain, and we'll look at that in just a minute. So, how does this work? How do we suppress truth? What is that like in the actual living out or walking out of our experiences? One question that I ask is, what truth is Paul talking about? What truth is it that we are suppressing? And in a nutshell, in simplicity, I would say, the truth being suppressed are the truths about God. And there are several of them that come out in our text. Let's look at Romans 1, 19 through 21, and read that again with this idea of what are the truths about God that are being suppressed? Look with me at 19 through 21. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Interesting. We are all without excuse. God is obvious, is what Paul is saying. 
For although they knew God, so they did know that there was a God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The truth is, we should all give thanks to God for the air in our lungs. In the time that you're sitting here, your body is doing things that your brain has not even consciously thought about. In other words, God is sustaining your life even to be able to sit here and listen to a worship service or to a sermon. If you are sitting here alive, you should be giving thanks because you're not in control as much as you might think you are. So we should be clearly seeing his eternal power and divine nature. And Paul says, because of that, we're, the, we're without excuse. We know God, but we do not honor him as God. So what are the basic truths that are being denied by us and by the world? Here's one, and it's simple. There is a God. That truth is being denied all over the place. In the marketplace, by my neighbor, in the community, everywhere. That truth is being pushed down. There is no God. And it's bubbling back up. Oh, yes, there is. And then another truth. He is the creator of all things. And so he's not a God. He is the God. He is not a God. He is the God. And that truth is being suppressed in our culture. Another one is, he is all-powerful. More powerful than all else. Because he made all else, including you and me. Another truth that is being suppressed by our culture is, he is eternal because there was nothing outside of him that could have brought him into being. Think about that for a minute and let your brain explode because he is eternal. Our minds can't get around that, an eternal being. Even the earliest, youngest kids go, Daddy, who created God? And when you say nobody, your mind ought to explode. He just is, and he always has been. Therefore, in another truth that we suppress, we must, we must exist to display his glory and not to compete with him for glory. Our whole existence is about making much of him and knowing him. Not trying to make a name for myself. Another truth is, we do not supply him with anything. He supplies us. And therefore, we are to live in constant gratitude. 
We supply him nothing. Even when we come like this to worship, we might think we're supplying him something that he needs. God must need our worship. That's why we come to church. But think about it like this. God seeks our worship not because it meets his need, but because it meets our needs. God doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need my worship. He seeks it. And I know I misspelled our up there. I'm sorry. It should say, oh, you are. God seeks our worship. Not because we, he needs it, but because it meets our needs. These are all truths about God that our culture is suppressing. But the text there in Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is raining. It is raining down on unrighteousness. And the reason I use this umbrella, if you could imagine, it's like Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the gospel that is covering me from the wrath of God that is raining down all around me on the unrighteousness of men. The gospel is my only covering. If I don't have the gospel, the wrath of God will rain on me. And so the gospel becomes essential. It is the whole idea behind the gospel is that we are covered in Jesus. That he is our substitutionary atonement who lived a life that you couldn't live that was perfect. And he died a death that you couldn't die. To die a substitutionary death in your place. And so when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are who you said you were. And that you can save me from my sins. I repent of my sins. And I want you more than I want anything else in the world. And it is only you. There is nothing else that can save me from the wrath of God, period. And so God's, reign, God's wrath is raining down all around us. Look with me at Romans 2, 1. This is interesting. Romans 2, 1, it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you judge, the judge practice the very same things. When you judge, you practice the very same things. Now remember this. Who did Paul write the letter to? Well, of course he wrote it to First Baptist Chattahoochee, right? No. When we're doing Bible study, good Bible study, always ask the question first, who was the author's original audience and how were they receiving this letter? You see, the original audience was the Romans. 
There were both Jews and Gentiles involved. And first, what Paul did is he went from 1832, Romans 1, 1832, and he talked about the Gentiles for a while. So the Jews were probably sitting over there reading the letter going, those guys, they really are bad. They really needed Jesus. And then Paul switches the gears. And he says in 2.1, therefore, so what's the therefore? Therefore? It's therefore because he's basically saying the same thing that what was up in 18 and 20 in chapter 1 when he said the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident to them. He's saying therefore, and then he goes and he's talking to the moral people. So he's talked to the Gentiles who were known for kind of being immoral, and then he switches the gears into 2-1, and he begins to talk to the Jews who think they're better than the Gentiles. And he's saying, you're no better because you sit in judgment on them. In other words, the wrath of God is raining down on you just like you think it's raining down on the Gentiles. And I would say to the people of God, Be careful. Be oh so careful. The only ones that are going to see, if you think about what Jesus said, is the, the poor shall inherit the kingdom. Those who weep will inherit the kingdom. The humble will inherit the kingdom. If we sit in judgment on anyone, The wrath of God will rain down on us. We know Paul is talking to the Jewish Christians. If you look at 2.17, Romans 2.17, he specifically mentions right there, I'm talking to the Jewish Christians. So we know when he gets to that, that's what he's doing. That'll be more next week. Look at Romans 1.22-32. Now this is the bulk of of what Paul is saying, and this is the most controversial part of what he is saying. Let's read it together. And starting in verse 22, Paul says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator rather than the I mean the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen and then let's read on for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Homosexuality is what he's talking about. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, 
murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The problem here, because it says it up earlier in the, in the verse, is not that they don't know there's a God. The problem is we love the darkness. The problem is not that they don't know there's a God. And for me, for 21 years of my life, the problem wasn't that I didn't know. I loved darkness. We love darkness. Look with me at John 3, 19 through 20. It's talking about Jesus here, and it's Jesus speaking. He says, and this is the judgment. So the judgment is the light, being Jesus, has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. That was John 3, 19 through 20. And what I'm trying to say is it's not that we don't know right and wrong, good and bad, evil and holiness. The problem, the bigger problem is we love darkness. And I'm, and I'm not just talking about non-believers. I'm talking about Christians. We like some darkness. And I don't like it when my sin is exposed. And so I put my best foot forward. All of us. It's part of the sin nature. And so, this is never more true in our society today than with the issue of homosexuality in America. This is never more true than this hot button of gender confusion, role confusion, and homosexuality today in America. And I know the LGBT community are people made in the image of God and they should be accepted and loved by you and by me and by the church. Did you hear what I said? I have a very dear friend who struggles by his own admission with same-sex attraction he has confided in me over and over and over again. He has found help 
with that struggle and today is married with young children, and I praise God for that. But I also realize that's not the story for everybody. But lest you think it's only in Romans 1 what we've read, I just want you to see it. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 6. Look over at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. This is how the text reads. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. So let me, let me stop there too, because a lot of times pastors, I think they just run down the road on this homosexuality thing and they skip this whole other group, which right now is a big deal. There's a whole group of Americans out there that think that sex outside of marriage is perfectly normal and fine. I have someone in my family that is very, very, very close to me that believes that. But that is not the case. God has said sex is only supposed to be inside of marriage and marriage is between a man and a woman. It's what the Bible says. Look at the rest of this. He says, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And what that's saying in that text is, they'll not inherit the kingdom of God if they go on practicing this type of sexual immorality. Now, the, the question is, well, could they... Could they turn from their sin and repent and follow Christ? Yes. Praise the Lord. And that is the story of the friend that I just shared. That is his story. I have another friend who struggles with the same sex attraction. He's a man. He's never married. But he's not giving in to those lusts. And he's walking with God. And so, there are ways to do it. But if we just say it's okay, and we gloss over it as Christians, that is heinous evil. And I'm saying that because go back and look at the end of our verse in Romans. Romans 1.32 in terms of just one of the most evil things we can do is found in Romans 1.32. Look at Romans 1.32. It says this, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They don't just do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Why do I say that is the most heinous? Because of this. 
God says those that practice this type of immorality are condemned without repentance and faith, are condemned to eternity in hell apart from Him. So then if you say to that person, because you're trying to be loving, if you say to them, it doesn't matter, it's okay, that's heinous evil. God has said that is not good. God has said the punishment for that is eternity separated from me in a place called hell. So then you come along and in the name of love, you decide what's right versus what God has said is what's right. And you say, no, it's okay. That's evil. That is evil. Because their soul is eternally at stake. And so for you to say what is okay when God has said it is not okay, it's just plain evil. That is, that is, if you believe the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, you can tell them whatever you want. But the truth is, we, we don't tell them the truth because we want to be loving. I get that. I have, an, I have an equation. I want to show it to you. Love minus truth is really just deception. To be warm and fuzzy with somebody and never speak truth is just deceiving them. And in this case, it's deceiving them for all eternity. Now, truth, and this is what happens with pastors like me, they feel obligated to speak the truth. So they get up here and they scream at people about homosexuality and they miss the whole love thing completely. Truth without love destroys people. Who can handle truth without love? I know I can't. And so I ought to be in relationships, personal relationships with people that are in same-sex attraction and struggling, and I ought to be loving them more than anybody else in the world because I have both experienced truth and grace, truth and love, and that's what they need is to experience truth in love. And truth in love develops them. It brings them out of deception. It brings them out of destruction. And it develops their soul so that they can spend eternity with God. And that is what we need to be as a church. So... Someone might say to me, I was born this way. My response is, and this may surprise some of you, you may think, and I may be, I may be wrong. I'm, I may be wrong on this. So someone tells me that struggling with same-sex attraction and they say, I was born this way. You know what my answer is? You might have been. You might have been. 
But we were all born with a sin problem. And God's call on all of us is to come and be holy like Him. And your struggle might be same-sex attraction. My struggle might be I want to have sex outside of marriage or I want to drink more than I should or I want to do drugs or I want to steal from people or I covet a lot. The issue is we all are struggling. The, the response from the Christians should be come struggle together with me against our sin that we may know God and experience eternal life. That's the right answer. You know what we're telling little children that are four, five, six, seven years old? As a country, right now, we're telling them, you, you really may be gay, and if you need a sex change, you probably should do that. I don't think that's helpful at all. God's Word says, it's wrong. God's Word says if I created you a male, you're a male. Receive that. There's a lot of things about who I am that I would not say to you because I'm too insecure to tell you that I have to just receive from God. God, you made me with this weakness or this issue. I'm just going to receive it from you and trust in your infinite wisdom that this is good for me. Don't we all have those things? And so, the reason homosexuality and more sexual immorality, not just, not just homosexuality, but any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is so rampant and normal, normal, it is normal now in our culture, is the end of verse 32. But they give approval to those who practice it. The more people that give approval, the more normal it becomes. Can't you see it? It's a, if, if there really is a God and there really is an enemy of God named Satan, what a strategy to wreak havoc on the souls of people. That's what I think is happening in this text. They're being turned over to debased minds because they're suppressing the truth of God for lies. They're suppressing and they're suppressing and maybe it pops up over here, but they're going to keep suppressing and then we try to be loving but we don't bring truth to bear. And here's the thing. There's a difference between accepting people where they are in their sin and approving of that. We should be the most accepting and loving people on the planet because we have experienced the grace of God. But God is also calling us to not say, it's okay. Do whatever you want. That's not loving. That's not real love. And so, may God help us as we move forward in this study 
and understand sin for what it is and our great need for a Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is life and truth and goodness. And though some of it is hard to understand, we trust that it is true. Father, I lift up members in my family, members in the family of those that are sitting in front of me who are living out in some of this sin. I pray that you would do a redeeming work in their lives, that they would turn from their sin and follow you and stop suppressing the truth of God for a lie. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.